0: Hey guys, welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Salve. It's Griff. And it's Will. And today we're going to be recapping the Elite Eight, talking about each matchup that happened over the weekend. And we're going to be talking about the Celtics as they gear up for their playoff run as they just earned the first seed. I'm excited. Let's dive right into it.
1: All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. We're going to get things started off here talking about the Elite Eight that happened this past weekend. We're going to get right into it, starting off number five-seeded Houston, number two-seeded Villanova, the American versus the Big East. Um, Overall, I think a great game. Maybe the most, like, technical game, I'd say, of the whole tournament where it was just all about defense. It was all about shooting free throws stuff. I said free throw. I saw you get happy. I'll let you cover Villanova. Okay. Well, what have I said all tournament even before the tournament? Free
0: throws win you championships, especially in March Madness. And we saw Nova going 100% from the line, 15 of 15. You don't see that in the college game nowadays. You don't even see that in the NBA. So, clearly that was a difference as they only knocked out this low-scoring game by six. I mean, that's almost um, half their points around, like, 40% of their points came from the line this game. So that proves you hit your free throws, you win games. And we'll kind of get into it in some of the other games. But free throws, win you championships, and this is why I've had Villanova going so far in um, my bracket. And that's why I've been so high because of this exact reason. And it came true.
1: Right. And and Houston, which I, I think has been a great team all season. I think they had a great season a great little run of the tournament. This is kind of exactly where I thought their ceiling was. So it kind of makes sense losing to Villanova, a great defensive team. And they showed it their big issue. I mean, and it was pretty obvious was their ability to score and their ability to score on kind of like half court sets. They, they, they are so good when they make the defensive play and they go out on break. They're such an athletic team. All five men on that team are some of the fastest people on the court at a time. And just couldn't get it done because villanova was they weren't really making their shots but they were slowing down the pace of this game the only way that houston could have possibly won this game was by keeping up the tempo villanova slowed it down they hit all 15 of their free throws they got to the line um i mean a good amount of shots from the free throw line. you hit all of them that's 15 more points for your squad they won the game by six i'm in shock of how low of scoring this game it game was because um I thought Villanova, honestly, at one point, I thought Villanova was just going to turn up and go off. Houston only hit one three-pointer the whole game. Like I said, just not a good team unless they can really get out there in the break. Um, And, and that's that's kind of the difference against that kind of style of team. Um, Well, I mean, I guess Villanova heading to the Final Four. We'll, we'll cover the game on who they're going to play next. But do you see them getting to the national championship right now after, after a, a tough
2: victory like that? I think a tough victory like this, um, there's a lot of good and bad things that you can like take away from it. I think the good can really outweigh the bad in this situation. Playing a tough game against a good Houston team, um, especially in March Madness where you don't really know what's going to happen. Like anything can literally happen. I feel like games that you kind of pull out somehow, kind of find a way to win, like Stav said early on before March Madness started. I feel like that really says who you are as a team. So because it was such a close game, because it's Houston, like they're a good team. Nova's two seed, you know, I really feel like they can, I mean, I don't know if they have what it takes to really pull away and make it to the final, but I mean, I think any given day, they could have a chance.
0: You know, I've been high on Villanova all tournament, as we know, I've been a huge advocate for them in their run. They're not making it to the finals. I mean, we'll talk about it in more in depth on Wednesday or on Friday's episode, but Justin Moore, I think he's out. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I think he's out, right? I think that's set in stone. I yeah, believe I so. Yeah. 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 So I don't. I don't really think. I mean, they hypothetically, like, if you really want to talk about it, they should have lost this game. You never think a team's gonna shoot yes. one of twenty from three. Yeah. And Houston did that. I mean, give all the credit in the world to Villanova's defense. I want to say, but gotta think someone's gonna make. Like Kansas is probably gonna make more than one three. And you only scored fifty points, which you're gonna lose. You can't score only fifty against Kansas if you want to win. So I, I don't no, really you
1: think
0: so. they're probably not gonna. In, in my opinion, opinion,
1: in my opinion, against a a solid team, um, out of all the solid teams, in Houston out of the American, not a power five, but I'd call Houston one of the better basketball colleges in the country in the past five years they've had a lot of good runs i think they had a great team this year as a five seed this is the only team that you can beat by scoring 50 points just because they rely so heavily on their defense that if you shut them down on defense then they're screwed because think about it they only scored 50 points villanova did but they only 44 that was a great defensive um effort for them against a very athletic team um and, and it, it was a lot easier that Houston could not hit their three balls they took 20 of them they only hit one imagine if they I mean even if they hit what two more they took so um a little bit of luck on their side that's how March Madness works moving on to the next game we have my Arkansas razor razorbacks not actually against the Duke Blue Devils um a tough loss for Arkansas they made it pretty far though elite eight they lost 78 to 69 um I'm so mad about this game, but Will, I'll let you get into it before I do.
2: Um, I can understand like people being mad about this game. I understand it. Um, in my opinion, I feel like our I mean Duke just really outskilled them, to be honest. You could just tell like Duke, like Arkansas was playing their defense, but Arkansas also looked helpless because Duke was just scoring at will. Yes. They really didn't have a chance at all, even though it was closer than it says it is. I just think even looking at how close it got, I just didn't really actually have a chance. I'm in total agreement with what will just said this whole game from the start.
0: Like I remember in the first half, I went to my roommate and I told him cause he's a Duke fan. I'm like, Duke's going to win this game. I don't want to hear it. I'm admitting they're going to win right now. Don't talk to me after the game because it was so clear that they were going to win. They were dominating the entire game. They controlled everything. Duke stars really came out to play. Like, when Duke's firing on all cylinders, you it's almost impossible to stop them. And I mean, obviously we're gonna get into it next episode, but I'm scared of Duke right now. Yeah. And I hate to admit it. I yeah. Hate to admit it. Like I wanna say that I wanna reiterate how much I hate to admit it, but
1: I'm admitting it. Like they're scared. No. So so the reason why I'm so mad at this game is just straight up because Duke just had the best game of their season, in my opinion, I'd say. Um, you beat a team that's very solid, very athletic. They have the guy in J.D. Note. Duke goes out there. Paolo Banchero actually looks like he could possibly be a good uh, basketball player, which I haven't seen from him in months, um, ever since the, the cramping issue started like at the beginning of the season. I haven't seen him play like that since that. Um, their big man, Williams, uh, Duke's big man, I don't know his first name because I honestly couldn't care less about the college or the university, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's a disgrace to the state of North Carolina. To be honest, um, they had it close. Arkansas did. They had it close with about six minutes left. Um, this is when I knew Arkansas was going to lose. Ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you give you a little breakdown of what happened. There's about six minutes, maybe six minutes and four seconds, something like that. There's a stoppage in play. I think it was out of bounds, and it was which way is this call going to go? And and Coach K went up. He went over talked to a ref out of nowhere. It's Duke's ball. I was like, okay, this this game is over. Um, so, but like Duke, Duke's players did really stand out this game. They, they had everybody going. I'm mad. I'm not mad because like of how this game ended. I thought Duke was going to win it in the first place. I'm mad that Duke had four players score double digits. Two other players score nine points. You know what I'm saying? Like they are solid. Like they had a very good game and they shot well. They shot 54% from the field, 40% from three, and they went 16 for 18 from the line. Like, they had an amazing overall game on offense, on defense. All facets were working. Paulo Banchero went four for 11. He had a three ball. He hit seven free throws. He went to the line, shot eight free throws. If he can do that, nah. If he can do that, Duke's unstoppable. And that's that's why I'm mad because – Banchero actually looks like what people are saying he's going to be, um, which I mean, is the right time to do it if you're in that position. So um, dangerous, dangerous from Duke.
2: Very dangerous. Well, I agree. I'm also scared of Duke, but I feel like at the same time, um, Arkansas, like they just played Gonzaga and they beat Gonzaga. Like they're yeah. not going to beat the one yeah, and the two true. seed back to back games. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, I don't really care
0: about Duke. I just think the only way – well, I, I keep jumping ahead. The only way I think that uh, UNC is going to beat him is if Caleb Love, which is completely doable, if he does what he's been doing all tournament. I don't think the Jets are stopping him. I don't think anyone Duke can stop him. And I don't, and then if the other guys like R.J. Davis and um, Bacot, if Armando uh, Bacot, if Baycott. he does what he's been doing as well, I don't, we'll get into this more on Friday. I'm really excited to talk about the final four because I think this is a dream final yeah, four. I, too. I mean, I, March Madness is dope with awesome all the Cinderella final stories, four. like St. Peter's and all this stuff, all the underdogs winning. But then when it gets to the real nitty gritty of the final four elite, you want to see the best teams in because you want the best basketball. Like, we're going to talk about UNC and St. Peter's
1: right. in a little bit, but
0: yeah, it could drop St. Peter's, but there was no way they were going to beat
1: UNC. No, no chance. And, and and we'll switch over to that game. Um, St. Peter's, it, it was about time. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. This is what happens every Cinderella run. Usually they, they end it in the Sweet 16. They made it one game further. They made history. I think we all knew going into this game they had absolutely no chance. Sometimes your magic just writes off. When you're going up against the Blue Blood, especially, 15C is not going to be a Blue Blood unless it's Lehigh against Duke, unless it's Duke, of course, because they're losers. Or Kentucky. Um, C well, beats Kentucky. 20. Oh yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky also <laughs> losers. Um so UNC uh put a little 20 burger on them 69-49. Duke, UNC is in the final four. I, I, like I I actually kind of want to talk about the final four of this episode. We're going to talk a little bit like while we're previewing or er, reviewing these games, but we're going to go more in depth on Friday's episode. But anyways, I mean, it was it was just about time that the Peacocks ended there on Um, Armando Baycott had 20 points. He had 22 rebounds, such a great day. It's going to be an interesting matchup in the final four. I think UNC, if, if everything is clicking for that UNC squad, they have all they need to beat the Duke blue devils. And I think that Armando Baycott is peaking at the right time. I think the whole squad is peaking at the right time. So I'm liking UNC. Um, you could say we had an easy game in the elite eight, but hello. Hello. Yeah. Oh, you can't hear me. My phone. Um, you can say whatever you want about playing an easy team, but St. Peter's is a team that beat Kentucky. Um, they beat a few more teams. Um, they're gritty. Um, and UNC just outpowered them, and that's exactly what we need. I think having a lot of strength, which UNC does, and, and having three different guys that can score wherever they want on the court is is a big advantage for UNC. Overall, a great game. Will UNC in the Final Four? for how, who knows how many, I think it was 16 times, something like that. Um, great feeling Will, um, how was this game for you? How was this game
2: at yeah, St. Peter's? Um, honestly, I like started watching it then it got out of hand and I was like, okay, whatever, I can relax now. Like going into the game, I was like a little bit nervous, but like at the same time I was like, is St. Peter's really gonna win this game? Like if we're gonna, like, if we think about it here. Like, there's no way that – like, I, I can't even say there's no way now because they made it all the way to the Elite Eight. But, like, I don't know. it. This game scares me for Duke because I'm also scared of Duke, but I'm also scared that we got an easy game before we go play Duke in, like, a bad way. Meaning, like, we played a team that's good, yeah. but we also killed them. Now we have to go play pretty much one of the hottest teams in the country now with duke like they just came off of their best game of the tournament and we just played st peter's the of 15th the season, season i'd say yeah so like i mean right. to be fair yeah, so we so have it... taken down ucla and baylor and we already beat duke at the end of the season so why can't we beat them again is really the question because i mean it, like i don't even know where to like start there's like too many implications that could happen i know we were talking about Baycott, but baycott has been dealing with this like funky injury with his back. So we don't really know what's going on with that. Obviously he has time to kind of recover from that, which has been interesting. And then he also bumped his knee um, last night on like under the basket, which I don't think that turned out to be anything serious, but there's just too many, like there's too many variables at this exact moment to even have a full out opinion on, The game. Obviously, I'm rooting for UNC, but it just Duke is just so scary.
1: Right, and it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. But the Elite Eight, um, wrapping up. We have number ten Miami, number one Kansas, Stav, Kansas. My pick. Your pick. Yeah. Our. (laughs) What a game. Yeah, they
0: they dominated. I mean, all right, I don't even want to say they dominated because in the first half they were losing, but then something was said at halftime, and they're no, they dominated. The second half they dominated. They were down at halftime. I don't, I mean, yes, I their coach walked in to the the locker room, probably ripped them a new one. Probably was like, you guys don't deserve to be a blue block, like saying all this stuff. They come out and they, I think they start the half on an eight. I think one guy started the half on an eight zero run. And then from that point on, it was over. Like, they out-physicaled Miami. They outplayed Miami. They were faster, stronger, everything. They played outplayed them in every single facet. One real uh, point I wanted to talk about was O'Shea Abaji. He went backdoor on some dude, made him look stupid, and it had an easy dunk. They were passing. It was just a clinic. Kansas, proof why they were the only one seed remaining in the tournament and why they deserved to be that spot. I love Kansas. I love the way they play. And I, I can't see them losing to Villanova.
1: I I was going to say, I really cannot see Kansas losing to Villanova. I think at the beginning of this tournament, I thought the floor for Kansas was honestly the national championship. And I thought whoever needed to step up was going to step up because I thought um, as much as I love the Baylor Bears and I talked about them all season, I talked about Arkansas all season. We all knew Kansas was going to do this. We all knew Kansas was such an amazing team. They were waiting on someone to step up off the bench. And guess what? They got it out of Remy Martin. First off, the coolest name in college basketball. I don't care about Doug Eater. Remy Martin is the coolest name by far. The kid (laughs) has stepped up big time. He's a transfer from Arizona State. Transfer from Arizona State, banged up his knee, came back, and he is producing off the bench. They have Oche on on the court to start the game. Remy Martin comes out. Um, they run a little front court uh or a back court duo. It is amazing to watch. It is amazing basketball. Kansas, Blue bud, true to it. The creator of basketball is Kansas, the Jayhawks. It's as simple as that. And I think when you need to ask your que- ask this question about the Final Four, who's going to win? I think this is the most obvious game. I think this is a more obvious game than um, Duke UNC because Kansas just has it. They have the coaching. They have the players. They have the guys that are going to make shots, and they've proved it in so many different ways. They held Miami to 50, and they scored 76 points. That's in the Elite Eight. I don't care if Miami's a 10 seed. That's in the Elite Eight. They beat a team by 16 points. They beat Providence the game before that. They beat Creighton the game before that. They've had a tough schedule throughout March, and they're just rolling right through it. In my opinion, they were down to Miami at halftime. I don't, I don't even think this game was like a challenge to them. I think they were just came out sluggish. They had two games before this. They were maybe a little tired. Maybe they were a little mentally drained and and whatever happened at halftime, I think that's going to strike them. And I think they're going to come out of hot in the elite or in the final four. I think Kansas is legit. And I'm, I picked them at the beginning of the tournament to win it all. And I'm gonna keep riding with them. I really, really do think that they're gonna win it all. They are just clicking on all cylinders. They are playing pretty much almost perfect basketball, even though that's not possible, obviously. But I mean, a great, great run from Kansas. Um, Will Kansas? Are we sleeping on them, or do you agree with me?
2: Um, I agree with you. I really don't see it. I, I really don't see Kansas losing in the final four. I don't really see them losing in the national championship either. I just think they're just too elite compared to anyone they play against. I feel like regardless of who wins on the other side, I really don't think any team has a chance.
0: I mean, this game was pretty self-explanatory. Obviously, the final score really did indicate how well Kansas played. I don't really think there's much more to talk about that one. So I kind of wanted to transition over to the Celtics and the run that they're on and how they've kind of hit a wall of adversity. With Rob Williams being out for, I think, around four to six weeks, which really hurts them. It's our, best, it's our best defensive piece, in my opinion. And tonight, I think everyone's out tonight. I think Tatum, Brown, Al Horford, everyone's out tonight. Obviously, Rob Williams. So this, we might talk this up as a loss. So we we can say we were the one seed for a period of time, but we're gearing up for the heat game on Wednesday everyone's going to be back for that. That's a huge game. So I'm interested to hear what everyone's opinion is on this run,
2: and can the Celtics end the season as a one seed. Will, what do you think? Um, I feel like we might not end up finishing the year's one seed. one we don't have where tonight is probably going to end up being a loss. Miami game is going to be tough. Um, I feel like we'll be able to escape a few games without Rob Will. It's going to be tough. I feel like we'll be able to manage. I'm honestly more scared for the playoffs now.
0: Yeah, it's right. It, it, it depends it's such a tough situation. In it's, in my opinion, it really depends on who we face in the first round. Because if we're facing a team like Charlotte, who really doesn't have that big of an inside presence, I'm not too worried if Rob Williams is out. It, like, mm-hmm. I might sound cocky by saying that, but I really do think that our guards really match up well with a lot of these teams in the Eastern Conference, especially the lower seeds. Like, maybe if we even run up against uh, Cleveland, who doesn't have Jared Allen, I think we match up pretty well with them. I think Al Holford can hold his own. This is
1: a speed bump, however, I really don't
0: think that this is going to do ground this team.
1: Right. So, so um we're going to lose tonight as both of you have said. Like I I actually cannot see us winning this basketball game where we're missing four of our starters, so it just makes yeah. sense. And the only starter that we have, no offense to him, is Marcus Smart who I mean, he's our captain, right? But, like, he's not going to go out there and score 35 points for us. So, I mean, if we're going to pull off a, a win tonight, it's going to be a miracle. If not, we're helping the Raptors stay out of that play-in. Um, but with Robert Williams being out, Robert Williams is the focal point to our defense. I think he's our most important defensive piece. And I don't really even think it's that close. You could say it's Marcus Smart. And I think Marcus Smart, this is the way I'm going to put it. It might, it might not make sense to you guys. I think um, Robert Williams is more important to our defense, but I think Marcus Smart is, like, probably more in position to make all defense first team. You know what I'm saying? Like, Marcus Smart is so awesome, right? But if he's not there, we have Derek White. Who are we going to rely on off the bench? It's going to be Daniel Tice for our center. Daniel Tice, not that great on the defensive side. Al Horford's going to be starting. He's going to be getting a lot more minutes in this first round. I think in the first round, no matter what, um, I I think we're going to get by whatever team we face. But I think depending on the team we face, that's going to affect us a lot in the second round. Um, I don't think we're going to finish the season as the one seed. I actually – if we finish in the the one slot – at the end of the regular season, I'll actually chalk that up as a miracle. Like I really just don't think, it's so difficult. The the East is so difficult this year. People are rotating in and out. We see the Bulls now at the five seed. And not only do I not wanna be the one, just like the pressure of that without Robert Williams is kind of a big deal. And then you have to go out and face a four or five seed, which is either the Sixers or the Bulls. If we're a two seed, we might have to play the Nets. I don't even really want to be a 2 seed. I want to see us in the three slot because we get home court in the first game, in the first series, taking on who? The the Tor- Tor- Toronto Raptors. Excuse my stutter. That was or the Or the Cavs, depending on how the whole – Yeah, depending on how play, that shapes up off the year. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'd say it's either going to be the Bulls, the Raptors, or the Cavs because they're all within two games of each other. Um. I would love to be in that three slot to face either three of those teams. I think we will get right by them. We'll we'll play a who, – who would we play in the second round? We'd play Maybe the, the winner team. of the Heat in the – yeah. we and, and you know what? I like playing against the Heat. I think we have what it takes to play against the Heat. Um, So not only do I not think we're going to be the one seed, um, I don't really want to be the one seed, to be honest. I think if we are the one seed, we're going to have a very difficult – Um, time getting past these teams, not in the first round, but in the second round, I think it will be a little bit more difficult. I'd like to see us fall into a three-seed spot with seven games left in the season. I'm very excited to see how this team is going to form up without uh, Rob Will, and I'm just praying that he comes back by the second round. But to be honest, I don't really think he's going to. If
0: I'm Rob Williams, I'm not returning this year. I think, I mean, selfishly as a Celtics fan, I really do want to see him back on the court. However, if I'm Rob Williams, my entire game is based off my athleticism. I mean, I'm, if, like I'm saying, if I'm Rob Williams, I'm an undersized center in the NBA. Like in all realisticness, he's 6'9, 6'10, whatever you want to call him. He relies so heavily on his athleticism to get his minutes. If he messes up his knee and doesn't have the same athleticism as his career is done, and if I'm the Celtics, i probably sit him unless he's 110% ready to come back. And that's what the doctors are saying. That's what everyone's saying. Because Al Horford can step in. And Al Horford has, obviously, incredibly meaningful playoff minutes and great experience. And I do think he can step in. And Grant Williams, this, this team goes as far as Grant Williams and Al Horford take him Because I trust Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum to do their thing. Then it comes down to the other two guys between Grant Williams and Al Horford. If Al Horford can step into that center role instead of the four and really command the paint, and if Grant Williams can kind of do what he's been doing in this past in these past few weeks in his on our Celtics six-game win seven-game win streak rather, I have no reason to think that the Celtics uh, can't really do what they've been doing with Rob Williams in the court. Obviously, it's a huge loss, but I think Grant Williams is a really good replacement to Al Horford, and Al Horford's a really Really good replacement to
1: Rob Williams.
0: And I'm more confident with Tice off the bench than I was with Ennis Freedom and all these other guys.
1: You're right. And I, I agree hundred percent with that. I think that Grant Williams is gonna surprise us. And I've been down on him since we since we drafted him. But I think I think he's gonna fill into this uh, four spot pretty well on the offense, but I think it's gonna force JT to potentially guard their four, depending on who we really play because Grant once again also undersized this team is i mean losing Rob Will he's not the tallest obviously as we said but he plays tall he has a very long wingspan he jumps out of the gym he's i mean 6-9 but he plays like he's 7 foot 1 and he's an athletic freak missing him out and looking at our lineup Jason Tatum is probably the tallest person on our lineup right now because, I mean, Grant Williams is about the same height as Marcus Smart. And then JB is 6'5", 6'6". JT is listed at, what, 6'8", but he's taller than Al Horford because I think Al Horford always is lying about his height just because he plays the center. He's listed at, like, 6'10". There's no way that guy is 6'10". And he's, like, 55 years old. He's all slunched over. He's not... Gonna play like he's 6'10. But I mean, he's gonna do the best he can. I think it'll be enough for us to get us through a couple of rounds. Um, I just have a quick question. Eh, this might not actually be a quick question, but I do have a question for you guys. Um, this is gonna be a great question because Will doesn't really know the full meaning of it. Will, what is our seat and what is the floor? What? My example my example of you not knowing it was when you said the Sox could get, like, 95 wins, but then you're like, I can see them getting on. Relax. So, true ceiling.
2: Relax. Um, I mean, I just don't see us staying at the one. I feel like our ceiling will be, like, a two or a three. I feel like our floor at worst could be a four or five I don't think we dropped that far
1: and how about in the playoffs
2: in the playoffs without Rob Will I think his rebounding is way too important and I think it's a little over overshadowed in what we feel like Grant Williams can really bring to our bring to the table at this exact moment I feel like we definitely can win the first round the second round will be tough but we'll make it through we will probably lose in the third round
1: that's fair what about
0: you stuff I'm sticking with this the ceiling. Obvi- I mean, we're talking just about the playoffs right now. Ceiling's the NBA championship. Yes. I I'm a firm believer in that. In 4 to 6 weeks, really I think the calendar brings it to around the second third the second round of the conference championship. We make it to the finals, Robert Williams will play. And he will have a, yeah. a, a many weeks rest. So ceiling's the finals. I really am a strong believer in that. And I think the floor is the second round because Who knows how the matchups work, depending on what seed and everything like that. But right now, I'm assuming we're going to be a three seed, okay? So we'll get around the first round. The second round, will be against a two seed who could either be Philly or Milwaukee. And I really do think we need Robert Williams in those series. Obviously, I think we can win. And we've proven to win in the past without really a strong interior game because Joel Embiid goes out and gets his. Robert Williams – I'm sorry – yeah, Robert Williams isn't really a matchup on Embiid. It's usually Horford. It's just how the other guys can play defense against the Sixers. And Horford always guards Giannis. So mm-hmm. it's just, it depends. Like I've said before, it depends. This, this team goes as far as uh, Al Horford and Grant Williams take them because we trust JT, Smart, and JB. The, that, that's the given. It's just how far the other guys can step in and replace. So ceiling, NBA championship. That's very very ceiling-esque i guess but the floor
1: is probably the uh, second round yeah so I'm, I'm gonna agree with you partially like very similar i agree with you with our ceiling is a second round exit it could just be one of those years where we get screwed in a matchup we don't have rob will um if you asked me 24 hours ago we're recording this on thursday by the way I, like on monday this isn't a thursday sorry long week Um, (laughs) we're recording this on Monday. If you asked me literally 24 hours ago um, about what could screw us over, I would say nothing. But now, um, missing a key starter, um, I really think that the floor for us is a second-round exit and a tough loss, a devastating loss, I would say, Um, unless we play the Bucs or the Sixers. But if we line up against the Miami Heat, who I also don't think the Miami Heat are going to lock up the one seed either. I think it's either up to the Celtics, the Bucs, or the Sixers. I like the Heat and they're a great regular season team. Um, so if the, if either the Celtics or the Heat, who are currently the one and two, I, I don't think either of them are actually going to get the one because looking at the three and the four, they're just a half game behind. It's the Bucs, it's the Sixers, such solid teams. If we match up against the Bucs or the Sixers, I think we could definitely lose to both of those teams in the second round. Um, and I don't like saying it, but, but you have to have some truth in there. Um, I think our ceiling, though, is a loss in the NBA championship. I don't think that we have enough to get over that hump of winning at all. Um, I think we're going to get to the NBA championship if we do. And I think that we're going to play a tough team, uh, which is the Phoenix Suns. If we play anybody other than the Phoenix Suns, I'm very confident in, in us beating them. I think we've done a great job against the Western Conference all year. I think we have it against the Grizzlies. First off, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to make the championship, even though in the two-seed. I don't think the Warriors really have it either. Looking at the at the Western Conference, it's actually kind of crazy because, in my opinion, the second-best team and the third-best team actually in that conference are the five and the six-seed in the Jazz and the Nuggets. I think those are the best proven playoff teams that I would trust in the playoffs this year. So I think if the Celtics get there... All the way to the finals, as long as they're not playing the Suns, then they'd win it. But I'm kind of almost 100 percent sure that the Suns are going to win the NBA championship this year. If it's not the Suns, then I think it's going to end up being the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, but, yeah, I, I think a, a nice little championship loss. It's going to be a sad one, but it's going to it's going to show a lot for our future. Rob Will is going to come back, play a full 82 game game season next year we're going to be absolutely moving it's going to be a great year here's what I'm kind of comparing this year to um I think this is kind of a Suns-esque year like last year's Suns I don't know how you guys feel about this but we just kind of came out of nowhere right we got a few pieces like the Suns did and we're making a run might not slow down ever you know because because they, they, barely lost in the NBA championship last year. They started off this year hot. I have not seen them slow down. I think that next year, that's how the Celtics are going to play. We're going to come out firing. We're going to lock up a one seed. We're going to potentially win the NBA championship even next year. That's just the way that I see it, Stav. I don't know if you agree with my uh, Suns-Celtics comparison. i love the comparison,
0: to be honest. I really think – I mean, there are a lot of similarities, as you've stated. However, the Suns were very fortunate last year with how – Injuries kind of stacked up. I mean, they faced uh, Jamal Murray, List's uh, Nuggets team. They nice. played the Lakers in the first round without ED. There's a lot of things that kind of factored in. However, the Celtics are kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum where they are getting bit with the injury bug right now. I mean, a lot of it may be precautionary, but this kind of reminds me, I put this in the speaker notes. This is the sixth time in six years that the Celtics was a key piece of their team right before or during the playoffs. 2017, we saw it with Isaiah Thomas hurting his hip. Kyrie in 2018 before. Uh, Marcus Smart in 2019. Gordon Hayward in 2020. Jalen Brown last year and now this year Rob Williams. So we have been bit with a little bit of an unlucky stretch. However, next year, there is no reason for me why the Celtics can't win a championship. I'm sorry. I know this is really getting far ahead. All of our young assets are locked up. Everyone's getting better. Jason Tatum is making tremendous strides every year, who, in my opinion, if he had one better month this year, he would be the lock for MVP. Marcus Smart should be a lock for defensive player of the year. His impact on on the court on both ends, I mean, it doesn't really matter about what he does on offense, but um, defensively, his impact is unreal. It changes the game, how he hustles, how he does every single thing on defense, arguably better than any other guard in the league. Jalen Brown is fitting into this number two role perfectly. He's scoring at will. He score him and Jason Tatum when they score 30, it's like art in motion. And we still have yeah. all these guys locked up. Rob Williams fully really healthy. Al Horford's going to be returning, I believe. Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, Peyton Pritchard still on his rookie deal. Uh, Grant Williams still on a rookie deal. I, we can add one more piece. An ideal piece for me for the Celtics to add is Kyle Anderson. I think you'd fit into this bench role perfectly. He has experience with Derek White and Emile Doka. I think that is a dream addition for the Celtics. But um, I'm I don't really want to look – I mean, this will be off-season talk. I think the Celtics really yeah. do have – I think everyone's starting to write them off again right now because of this loss of Robert Williams. This is when the Celtics thrive, guys. They were 18-21, and 21 and we are now the best team in the East. So one player really doesn't, in my opinion, we still have our stars. I mean, we, we're losing a big part of our defense, but we still have our stars. Okay, Rob Williams, he's out. He's, that's going to lead to a few more possessions and a few more points for the other team. I think Jason Tatum's going to score 10 more points a game, and so is Jalen Brown. So I'm really confident in the Celtics. I'm really high on them right now. I really don't want to be uh, <laughs> brought down to earth, I guess.
1: Right. And, and who, was, who was the name that you said that you would like to see him add in the offseason?
0: Uh Kyle Anderson.
1: From Memphis. Kyle Anderson Slovo. from the from the Grizzlies. The the yeah. slowest player in the NBA. Yeah. That man, that man is insane. He's a very good player though, obviously. But though he just like I've seen him on the fast break way too many times get caught up to that would be so frustrating. He's a great player, but it it's just like he makes so many good plays in a half court set. Um, so it would still be a very key addition. It would be a great addition. I think no matter what, like once we, once again we said, I'll just say one thing, no matter what, we have to make some moves in the off season, uh, even if say like God touched us and we made the NBA championship and won it. I think no matter what, we should still try to make a couple moves, get a couple more pieces to kind of gear up for the long run. Um, that would be a great piece. Um, this is an interesting year from the Celtics. This is going to be a big test year for the big duo of JB and JT. Um, this is the beginning. This is truly the beginning um, of hopefully what's going to be happening for the next 10 years. I could, I could really see it. Like I, the, I need solid basketball from them for the next 10 years until they're done. And I think th- these are some guys that are all around the same age, except for Al Warford, who's 75 years old, but like, So many young guys. Right. And we see it in Memphis um, where it's like Jaw, it's all of them, like all the young guys having fun out there. I think we underrate how young the Celtics are just because JT and JB have been doing it since their rookie season. So now it's like, oh, we've seen them deep in the playoffs so many times. Like these guys are 25 and under, to be honest. Rob, Will, Will. I mean, Marcus Smart's 26, 27, but we have some guys, right? And we have some young guys. They're all around the same age. It allows them to click, have that chemistry. The post-game workouts are the greatest thing that an NBA team can do. It shows that you want to get better even after a game. And it shows that it's not just one, two, three guys. Like Jason Tatum puts it on a Snapchat story after every win that they're in, in in the gym, right? And you see pretty much the whole team. Pretty much the whole team in that one little workout room in the TD garden. Um, it's great to see. I'm hoping we see that for years. And I'm so glad that we're so young because those guys are going to grow up together. Um, like as as professional basketball players, they're going to click together. They're all going to know their strengths, their weaknesses. It's going to be amazing. The Celtics, this is the first year of many that we can see them in, in the finals, in my opinion. And I think um, that... Kyrie's phase was cool. Isaiah's phase was like a little like, oh, my gosh, can we actually do something? It was just a bridge, in my opinion. Kemba was a bridge in between Kyrie and, and now Jason Tatum to be the star of the show. And Jason Tatum has stepped up very, very well. I think he averaged 33 points a game in the past month. He's 35. pretty much locked up Mar- March month uh, month of the player. Wow. Month player, of the player of the month. Jeez. Such a <laughs> tough day such a tough day um but like the celtics they're surprising me but this uh, they're surprising me because i thought they were going to ease into this you know what i'm saying like we just came out of all-star break and we just started bugging out and i don't think we're going to stop ever again and will i don't know how you feel but do you agree with me this is the this is the start of of what's gonna be happening in the next five six seven years
2: um hmm. let's see i agree almost 100% with you and stop on this one. I'm I'm almost seeing eye to eye with what you guys are saying. It's the. I'm I'm a little less optimistic in a non hating way, because obviously the Celtics mm-hmm. are my. I'm just a little less os- optimistic in terms of this year, and I kind of agree with the Suns comparison. I just kind of feel that there's a lot more work to be done for our situation and the trends of the NBA. I feel like, obviously, we're stepping up as a team. Our duo is stepping up. But I feel like in terms of the trends, we need to be able to keep up with what's coming at us. And obviously, like, we are undersized at the big. We are hurt from Rob Will, and, like, he's a very key piece to us. But I feel like, obviously, if we can add a solid center to our lineup, then we're really moving. Like, I'm not saying I don't agree that what we have can't work and we can't win an NBA championship with what we have. And even if we decide to keep most of what we had this year, next year, which is what it's looking like, we can't win it next year. It's just, there's still a lot more work to be done.
0: Um, For the first time, I want to say, since the Isaiah Thomas era, the Celtics have an identity, which is we're going to out-physical you, we're going to play defense, and we're going to run on you. And you can't do anything about it. You know, in the past with Kemba, Kyrie, we had that Score first, point guard. And the other guys were kind of like, what's my role? What's my job? What am I going to do? Like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are so talented that they would be a number one option in any other team. And those guys being our scorers, Grant Williams stepping in and knowing his role, Marcus Smart finally adjusting to his role. I've been really hard on Marcus Smart in the past because I so, I really do think that he's more of a facilitator than anything else. And he used to try and score a lot, trying to get his. But he's stepping into this point guard assist mentality of team first which has really sparked them on this run but a team is dangerous when you give them an identity and when they know how they should play and everyone buys into this mentality so that's why i really do think that this team has separated themselves from the past teams and um they have seven games left right so we have we're at toronto tonight versus Mm -hmm. miami wednesday versus indiana and then versus Washington, at Chicago, at Milwaukee, at Memphis. Here's what my prediction for the last seven games of the year. Tonight, we're going to lose. So loss, we're going to beat Miami. We're going to beat Indiana. We're going to beat Washington. We're going to beat Chicago. We're going to beat Milwaukee, and we're going to lose to Memphis. So I think we're going to go 5-2 and over the last stretch. I'm saying we're going to lose to Memphis in the last game of the year because I think everyone's going to be benched. I think that we're going to lock up whatever seed we're in by that point. And um, I think we're better than every other team that we're facing. So,
1: right. And, and to, I mean, I guess I'll I'll throw mine out as well. Give a little game by game. We play Toronto tonight. Um, everybody's out. Chalk that up as a loss. Um, we play Miami. I think we beat Miami. We forced Miami down. Um, we beat Indiana. I think Indiana is going to sit a lot of people as well. Um, they're not in the playoff picture at all, right? Indiana. No, at the moment, because, I mean, they blew everything up. They Miles Turner's already gone. Um, I think Indiana's going to be sitting people already by this game, kind of like what OKC's doing over in the Western Conference. Um, we're going to beat Washington because Kyle Kuzma's not going to drop 50. Um, we're going to beat Chicago because they're frauds. Um, and I think we're going to lose to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's going to clinch the one seed with that game. And I think we're going to lose to Memphis because I think we'll already have our spot clinched, whether that be the two or the three. Um, I think we're gonna finish the season four and three, and I don't think it's gonna be a bad four and three. You know, I think it's gonna come down to that Milwaukee game, and I think if we win that, that will be like the last meaningful game of the season. And then we go out, we play Memphis. I don't think Jaw's gonna be playing for Memphis. Um, I don't think JB or JT will be playing for the C's. So, I wouldn't really count that as like an actual loss, but it's gonna be a loss in. The, the real record. So I think a little four and three to end the season, maybe lock up the two or the three seed and we'll, and we'll go from there from the playoffs. What, what about you, Will?
2: Um, I like, I, I I pretty much as you guys were going over and I was looking to see what I was about to say. And I kind of saw eye, eye with you Griff on four and three. I think the, going back to what I was saying before about the little bit of um being a little less optimistic is because of our injuries with this run, I feel like, um one four and three would make sense we need to be able to rest up but every time we see these injuries we go on a run we we make our moves we look fantastic We're like wow someone stepped up we're doing great and then all of a sudden our whole team hits a crash because we're exhausted right I feel like the we most so we can get in these games and the earlier we can clinch our seed the better off we will be in our playoff
1: That that's very true I think we've seen it so many times before I want to say that, like, the best example of what you said was the bubble Celtics, where we went, we played Miami. Both teams were tired, but Miami just out mentaled us at that point. Like, they just—I mean, Jimmy Butler is the, like the strongest mental person in the NBA, and that's the reason why they won that. Um, and I, I could totally see that happening again this year. A big thing, though, that's a lot different than the bubble is the fact that we're going to be playing in the Garden 100% capacity. I think that. I might just be saying this because um, I am a Boston Celtics fan. Um, I think we have the best home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. I and, like, I, like, I'm i trying to say this in an unbiased way. I don't think it'll ever come out as an unbiased opinion because I am a Celtics fan. But I'm looking at these teams. The only team that I could see actually being better than us is Milwaukee. Milwaukee gets Crazy every single game of the season um but i think we're up there with them i think philly's a bunch of fake fans a bunch of frauds a bunch of losers um probably duke university fans um chicago doesn't get louder at all their five seed doesn't even matter toronto's pretty good but honestly toronto isn't actually good at basketball so their fans can only do so much miami a bunch of rich people don't actually invest into the game like we do i think we have something different i think home court's going to help us a lot throughout this playoff run and if we get Put up against Milwaukee, that's going to be the real test for the season. I think that'll be the most difficult series that we could possibly play um, in the Eastern Conference. I think that the teams that we need to look out for the most, um, one in the Eastern Conference and one in the Western Conference, if we make it, um, Milwaukee from the East, the Bucks are just insane, and the Suns in the West. The two teams that faced off last year in the championship and the finals, um, in my opinion, those are the two teams that, not that I don't want to play, because I want all the smoke right now. Like I'm confident in Celtics. But those are the two toughest opponents that, when I see them and I factor in everything, this is going to be the toughest possible two series that we could play in, in the playoffs. I think if we play both of them, so obviously we'd have to play Milwaukee first, I think they'll tire us out. And I think the Suns will just smack us, to be honest. Because you're right, Will. If we're relying on... Um, one less person off the bench because we need them to start, which is Grant Williams, um, people are going to get tired. It, it's just what happens. Seven-game series, you have to play, what, four of them? Yep. You, and, you can't take, and you cannot take all of those to seven or six, to be honest. So it, it's going to be a long road. If Rob Will can come back, though, say if Rob Will comes back, we're in the third round, I think we could actually win the NBA championship. That's right. a spark plug. You know, that that is actually a big momentum shift. That is a big momentum shift. I think that that's going to be the key.
2: I agree. And In the similar years that we were talking about, honestly, the COVID year was one of them. But I think the other one was Ty Rozier year. We kind of faded out. We faded out completely. When Tyree went out? Yeah, because, like, in in the bubble, we didn't fade out. Like, we just... We just got exhausted, but we still fought, and like we were still in those games. Just as soon as when we had Rosier, and once we faded away, we just completely lost it as a whole team.
1: That's true. That's very true. And and, and that Buck series was an amazing run, and it's it's funny because I couldn't see us burning out, and. and before we had Rob Will, the fact that we only lose one person is like, well, you only lost one guy. But at the same time, it's only five guys on the court at a time, right, Will? And we've only been running three guys off a bench the whole season. So yeah. this, is, this is what I think needs to happen. And, Stav, I'm going to name a couple of guys off the bench, and then I'll let you take over what you think really needs to happen um, for the Celtics, who needs to step up. I'm going to name two names because I already know Derek White needs to play good, and I think he will. Um, Peyton Pritchard and Neesmith, the two sophomores, I think Neesmith's going to have to get a a couple more minutes a game in in the playoffs before Rob Will comes back, and obviously they don't play the same position, but it's a guy that can run, that can stretch his legs out, that can shoot the ball, and that can play against a a decent wing, can play defense against a decent wing. We need Aaron Neesmith to have a solid um, outing throughout this playoff series it, it, and Peyton Pritchard just needs to keep shooting the ball that, the way that he has been. Um, Stop, I'll pass it over to you. What are a couple of guys that you think need to step up? Okay, I'm going to say three names, and I'm going to explain
0: why. Obviously, like you said, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Niesmith. My little ace in the hole here is Sam Hauser. That name might come as a surprise to you, but if Aaron Niesmith doesn't step up and he can't play, expect to see Sam Houser get some minutes. Sam Houser is a sniper. He can hit shots no matter who's on the court. He will shoot and he will make his shots. I have never really seen him play on the defensive end, which might kind of hurt his chances of um, playing meaningful minutes. But if we need a spark plug, I wouldn't be surprised to see Eme Udoka throw him in there. You know, we're down by 10, especially over the stretch of the next set, tonight especially, I'm very excited to see because I think yeah. both Nick Stauski yep. and Sam Houser are going to play a lot. And I think Sam Hauser is going to earn some minutes, especially as his team goes forward. But this team right now, what we see tonight, everyone's trying out for this playoff roster. I call the playoff roster of around the, the eight, nine guys that will get minutes. Right now, obviously, we have our starting The playoff guys. rotation. Yeah, playoff rotation. So we have our starting five. But then we have two guys on the bench who are guaranteed to get minutes, who, in my opinion, Derek White Peyton Pritchard. Everyone else is trying out tonight. Who knows who's going to step up? Who knows who's going to be that next guy off the bench? And championship teams have guys who can step up, like, effortlessly. And I really do
1: think that's going to be Sam Hauser. That's a good point. And another name that I'm excited to see tonight that I'm not necessarily saying that he needs to step up or or I'm not even saying that he's probably going to get in, but – um. A guy, a young guy from Chattanooga, who's been doing very well for us in the G League, just got bumped up, uh, Matt Ryan. Um, not not the guy in Indianapolis or or wherever the hell he got traded to. But Matt Ryan from Chattanooga. He's a six seven forward. Um, he's been doing very well in the G League. Um, and I, I want to see him get in. Uh, this is going to be his first NBA game tonight against the Raptors. I'm guessing he's going to get in just due to the fact that we are missing... So many names for, I mean, four people being out, I'm hoping that we get some quality minutes from everybody tonight. And, and th- this is the perfect game. This is a Brad Stevens game where Brad Stevens would stretch out and literally play every single person, even if nobody was hurt. And it doesn't matter what the score is, but Brad just has it set that he wants to see who's going to play good in this, in these different situations. So I think this this is a big night for some different guys uh, And a name that I like to look at tonight is Matt Ryan. I think he shoots the ball very well. He gets to the bucket, and, and I'm kind of scared of his defense, and I'm hoping he proves me something tonight and maybe put in, in little splits during the playoffs just just to help with the lack of scoring if, if need be. So I'm hoping that Matt Ryan kind of finds his place. He's a 24-year-old rookie, which is very old, same age as Jason Tatum. Um, so, yeah, like a, a couple of names. Will, you got
2: any? I mean, I can't really name any more guys than what you guys already said. Yeah, so.
1: we've named. I was, I was going to say, like, I was scared to ask you because I I think we just named the whole roster. Um, because, I mean, the other guys probably won't even play ever. Yeah, right? No one else so,
2: will play. Yeah, like, I, mean, really, really I think Smith might be the biggest key that we have. I think I he'll be the biggest player that we have in this run if we as a spark plug.
1: Right. I agree 100% off the bench. I just think his versatility, um, which hasn't been maximized. If it is maximized, and that's not being mag- – I'm not saying being maximized by uh, Coach Ime, but by himself. Like, if if Neesmith can take the next step for himself, I think this is a big week to do it, and he can add a couple more points a game to, uh, to his stats, and I think he can be a little piece in the playoffs. I really think that Neesmith – and when we drafted him, he was the best shooter in the draft, right – and he had a not a great rookie year. He saw Pritchard step up. And then we saw Pritchard kind of downslope at the beginning of this year. Pritchard getting hot at the perfect time. Pritchard's been on an absolute run. I'm not scared of him. Like, I'm not scared of him messing up. But I'm scared of Neesmith because Neesmith's super inconsistent. Um, but he has the size, the speed the shooting ability to be that piece off the bench will that could really help us out. So I, I agree hundred percent. I think Neesmith is my number one guy um, that like really just needs to make some moves. And, and it's not necessarily the fact that Robert Williams is out. I'm saying in general with or without Robert Williams, we kind of need Neesmith to to be that wing off the bench that gives JB and JT a break. Agreed. All right. Um, Do we have anything else
0: to cover for the Celtics? Because I kind of want to, go off script here and talk about something funny that happened last night about this whole, I mean, do we have anything else about the Celtics? No, nah, I have nothing for right. the Celtics. Chris Rock last night and Will Smith. <laughs> that is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my entire life.
1: Okay.
2: Yes. Uh, if for those
0: of you who don't know, for those of you who have been living under rock, um, a Rock, Chris, Chris Rock made fun of Will Smith's wife. Um yes. Her hair, apparently she has a condition in which she can't grow hair. Will Smith took it personally, walked up to the stage, and slapped him in front of the entire world. And then screamed at him. I'm not going to repeat what he said. But, okay, this is just hilarious, first off. I mean, I think the reactions of everybody else is hilarious. On Twitter, there's a user with an at Will Smith who is not the will smith that did this he's some minecraft youtuber and Stephen a smith keeps berating him saying at will smith <laughs> you are a coward what are you doing you are hurting a man's legacy all this stuff and this guy's just like a minecraft youtuber and <laughs> Stephen a smith keeps tweeting at him and barstool is getting up they have a field day they have content for the next month this is just hilarious oh, okay. i think this is a good thing i mean to kind of distract us from the world of sports maybe but um what are you what do you got, what were your initial reactions to this when this actually happened?
1: All right. So I was like I, I was not watching was it the Oscars, the MB yeah. something. Like I don't I don't I don't really watch award shows like that unless I'm at like at home with my family. I'm at school right now, I think last night what was I even watching last night. No, I was playing video games last night. Um and doing homework, of course. But um when it happened, it, it instantly went to Twitter and Instagram. They blurred out, like, right after he got slapped. Um, Chris Rock was like, Will Smith. And then, like, it all it all got uh, muted. But I found Stav actually sent the um, unmuted version of it. So I appreciate that. My first reaction was, why did he slap him? Because when when he made the joke, Will Smith was dying. Like, I don't know if yeah. you guys saw it. He thought it was hilarious. He looked over at his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. I like, a, by the way, very successful woman. Um, she was dead staring at, her, at at Will Smith. Like, you need to go do something. So Will Smith automatically was like, okay, I guess I need to go do something. I think that's why he did that. He set the tone for that relationship. Um, and you know, what? I'm glad this is like um, it's like TMZ. Um, I, that relationship has had their problems in the past and. That, that little table talk that they had last August was insane. The fact that Will Smith did that after that was, I mean, he, she's got him like this at this point. Um, what, a, what a win for Jada Pinkett Smith. I think it's a loss for Chris Rock because he got he got rocked. He got and he, humiliated. And you know what? And you know what? You know what? He took it. Like, he what actually took, a took chance. it. And he didn't rub his face or anything. He didn't move. He literally got slapped. Came back up and was like, Will Smith just slapped the blank out of yeah. me. Like, like, like nothing happened. And then he was like, I thought it was a good joke. And then Will Smith started screaming at him. Yeah. It Like, I think it was unnecessary. First off, it's on national television. So, like, you never want to um, answer words with violence. Um, second reaction, though, that was the funniest thing that's happened maybe this year. I mean, Yeah a couple months in i guess i'll say it, man. that that's the funniest thing that's happened in 2022 Will, do you agree
2: i mean maybe i don't know like it's it was just more of like a wild thing more than like funny in itself it's like the situation is funny because like that was so, i was watching it live and i was genuinely so confused at like the like it just took an absolute turn So like from watching it live he made the joke and it cut to will smith because they were cutting to so many people in the crowd while he was like joking on a bunch of people and then yeah. it cut back. All of a sudden, it cut back to Chris Rock after we made the joke. Will Smith is like charging the mound on Chris Rock and just rocks him. And I was just like, what just happened? And then it cuts back over. The screen, it just says Oscars on it. And then we don't see what happens. And it cuts back to Will Smith screaming. Then it cuts back to Oscars. And then nothing happened. Like we couldn't hear anything. And like the clip that Stoff sent us was from like Japan. <laughs>
1: like it yeah, was. Just, and, then, so, and then like Australia still, also didn't. It was just Australia.
2: Yeah, it was like out of control. And then the best part is is afterwards, first like I couldn't even tell if it was real. Like it looked fake as it was happening. That was real. It I was think. it had to be real because the, it wouldn't make sense that the second reaction. Like if it was fake, I'd understand the slap and then like if there was no reaction after the slap from Will Smith, then I would have thought it was fake.
0: Yeah. Um you want the funniest the reason why I kind of wanted to bring this up. I saw the funniest tweet I started dying laughing in the middle of class. I had to explain. This was actually kind of awkward for me. But, <laughs> so, I saw a tweet where it was like, Chris Rock is lucky AF that all the other dudes at Jada slept with aren't charging him as well. Yeah, like, <laughs> half the crowd, uh, at the Oscars would have
1: gone up. <laughs> I had to
0: explain the joke for my uh, class, but it, uh, it was it was pretty funny. I mean, I think, I mean, we are a sports podcast, and I really think that it, this is necessary to talk about. And no, I like the fact that we're talking about things other than sports. And I kind of want to relay this back to another joke, kind of transition to the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about. But um, so Nick Castellanos, as we know, signs with the Philadelphia oh. <laughs> <just realized>, so, <laughs> oh. You know, Nick Nick Castellanos.
1: Not a guy, name you want to hear.
0: Is, exactly. A guy who loves to hit home runs, but at the worst
1: possible times. Wait, so what so happened? I actually don't know what happened. I watched the video and was, and like, confused. What what even happened? Okay, so Nick Castellanos steps up to the plate for his first
0: at-bat in spring training in the Phillies. I saw the day. Oh, that was great. The, guy, As the Blue Jays announcer was apologizing for a DUI, Nick
1: Castellanos <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Wait, wait. So, so the announcer had a DUI and he was right. apologizing for it. It was it was
0: either him or he was
1: apologizing on behalf
0: of somebody. And as oh. he was doing that apology, Nick Castellanos hits a home run. And then he, he hit another. He he hit a, another.
1: Home. The Gonzaga coach.
0: Yeah, probably or, or his <laughs> dog or whatever. But um, (laughs) Nick Castellanos also hit another home run today, a day after. I mean, this is kind of a stretch, but a a day after the
1: incident last night of
0: Chris Rock. I count that.
1: I count that. It's a 24-hour span of of bad things happening. I remember last year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It was actually so messed up. I think – oh, it was when Hank – no. Was it last year that Hank Aaron
2: passed away?
1: I bet the next day that Castellanos would hit a home run, and he did.
2: Uh, there were so many no, things there was there. Was a in a home run after last year. It was actually outrageous. Yeah, there was was a point where, like, if anything bad happened, you could just turn anything. on a Cincinnati Reds game, and it was Castellanos probably taking one, like, 425 to left. Every team. single time. Every
1: single time. Bad things need to happen in Philadelphia for him to succeed.
2: <laughs>
1: the Sixers need to lose in the first round. Castellanos will have the greatest, like, first two-week stretch in, in, in MLB history. If that city oh, goes through a first round loss, Castellanos will absolutely bug out. Um, I know we're not talking about the Red Sox. The only thing I want to say is that I'm I'm sad that we didn't get Nick Castellanos. I'm a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of him.
0: However, we are all safe, especially me living in Boston. I feel a lot more safe now that Nick Castellanos is not on the Red Sox. Like <laughs> I can wake up knowing that there's not going to be a catastrophe because Nick Castellanos hit a home run. Like if I was at Fenway Park and Nick Castellanos hit a home run, I would leave. I would run. I'm, I'm running. I'm like, running. Th- that would be the scariest thing
1: for me to I'm see. I'm running ever. back to the train, going as far north as I can. I'll probably end up in Maine. Nothing really happens up in that state. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. Nothing's going to happen now because Nick Castellanos, <laughs> is our not, not a Red Sox. Um, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode, unless you guys have anything yeah. else. I
2: don't what? have
1: any other catastrophes to talk about, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well you guys enjoyed this episode we will catch you guys for a final four breakdown and more on friday we hope you guys enjoyed as always follow the socials at inside the five Pot and peace peace